Listen to the highly anticipated 100th episode of Tank and Jay Valentine's R&B Money Podcast with artist Chris Brown. Even working with you from Carrie Hilson, Adonis. Mm-hmm. Back in the day, I was 15, 14 doing that album. So like I said, I was in school like, yeah. okay, this is how you do it. This is how you make a song. There's a verse, a pre-chorus, and then a hook. I didn't know none of that. You learned I, that over a summer, bro. That's what I, it felt like. That's what it felt like. Listen to R&B Money on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi there. I'm Bob Pittman, Chairman and CEO of iHeartMedia. Welcome to Math & Magic, Stories from the Frontiers of Marketing. This week, I'm talking to acclaimed musician and entrepreneur, Pitbull. I think that education is the real revolution because as much as we speak about all the problems that there is in society and the world today, my mother's always told me, son, don't worry, the world's always been coming to an end. Don't let it scare you out of living. Listen to Math & Magic on our very own iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Elevation with Stephen Furtick podcast was created with you in mind. This is a podcast for those feeling discouraged or needing guidance from God. Together in this podcast, we'll dive deep into scripture, uncover the powerful truths that will help you rise above your limitations and embrace your full potential. We're here to equip you with the tools you need to conquer life's challenges. Listen to Elevation with Stephen Furtick every Sunday and Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Vanessa Tyler. Now on Blackland, we're still getting HIV. I was shocked to learn Black women are still oblivious to the risks. Why don't we especially get it? Well, you know, we don't talk about or use language like sex negotiation, condom negotiation. It's more so like, you know, I like this person. And um, if I like them enough, I I then spend time with them. I trust them. But many Black women are finding that trust comes back to bite them in the you-know-where. I had the chance to speak with Masanya Trailer. She's smart, witty, and on a mission for you to see all of her and the growing number of other Black women, in particular in the rural South, contracting HIV. Yes, still. And there are things to prevent this, not just condoms, but medication. But we're not getting it. We'll talk about it on Blackland. And now, as a brown person, you just feel so invisible. Where we're from. (laughs) Brothers and sisters, I welcome you to this joyful day. We celebrate freedom. Where we are. Get on the ground. I know someone heard something. And where we're going. We the people means all the people. The Black Information Network presents Blackland with your host, Vanessa Tyler. My name is Masanya Trailer, and I've been living with HIV for 10 years. Masanya Trailer has a mission, and she won't stop, can't stop. She is obsessed with educating young Black girls about HIV. Masanya, welcome. Hi, Vanessa. How are you? Why are people thinking, almost like they do about COVID, that HIV is not an issue anymore? Uh, well, the human brain. As as we as we know, if you can't see it, it's hard to believe it. I was shocked to learn black women are still oblivious to the risks. Why don't we especially get it? I think the information doesn't come to us as quickly. And once again, if we, we can't see it, then it's hard to believe that it is an issue for our community as black women. I also think that um, we aren't equipped uh, and within our values and our morals in a way that we um, approach the reasons why we get HIV. What do you mean by that? 
well, you know, we don't talk about or use language like sex negotiation, condom negotiation. It's more so like, you know, I like this person. And um, if I like them enough, I, I then spend time with them. I trust them. And depending on where I feel their, uh, the integrity lies, I will trust them with my my whole being. And sometimes also it's the language in which we use around HIV that stigmatizes others that are living with HIV in our immediate circles that we're unaware of. And that language causes so much harm. It makes it really difficult for our Black men to even go to the doctor and seek out healthcare support around taking care of themselves, including a diagnosis and managing an HIV diagnosis so that they can get to an undetectable viral load and not transmit HIV to us. We're still not talking about it as much. And there's such a heavy shame and fear that's spoken on when we talk about HIV that makes it really difficult for people to lean in and support people living with HIV so that they can take care of themselves in such a way, or we can take care of ourselves in such a way that we understand the education and believe in the science and not the myths that we can give birth to an HIV negative baby. We deserve to breastfeed while living with HIV. As long as we're taking care of our health and achieving that undetectable viral load, we do deserve to still have healthy, long-term, lifelong relationships Is that if that's what we desire. We still deserve to have multiple partners over time if that's what we so choose to desire. It's the quality of life in which we navigate with an HIV diagnosis that can make the difference. Really looking at the, the reasons, not only why are we contracting HIV, but also the reasons why we are still dying from complications of AIDS when we now have the know how in navigating an HIV diagnosis, but most people don't and they don't believe it. They choose to be oblivious and ignorant to it and continue a lot of old narratives that that don't serve a healthier community as Black people. And when it's all said and done, the burden falls on her, as it does on most Black women carrying the disease. There's a, a humongous amount of responsibility that comes with an HIV diagnosis that our society puts on us rather than those who don't know their status and are not getting in care at all, rather than those of us who are choosing to know our status and getting in care and owning how we want to stop HIV together. It must be stopped because now Black women's numbers are going up. One in five new infections in the U.S. are in women. And of those, half of those are in Black women. So definitely, we still have a lot of work to do. Dr. Toyin Norfor is the Senior Medical Director, HIV Prevention for Vive Healthcare. And there are, you know, we think a variety of reasons why that's happening, all the way from awareness of, of people thinking on whether they uh, could acquire HIV, to access to care, access to prevention, access to healthcare providers who can talk to them about HIV, HIV testing and prevention options, uh, other barriers to be able to engage and stay in care 
And then we can't forget all the other environmental and social things that happen where um, increasing the risk or, or of somebody possibly acquiring HIV. And some of that has to do simply with the geography and how much HIV is in the communities in which they live in. So things around, um, for some women, challenges around with unstable housing, poverty, systemic racism, access to care, all of those things do factor into why we're still seeing a significant number of, of infections in Black women. For Masanya, she contracted it by opening up to someone she trusted. Um, the way that I look at it is I loved a person who had an HIV diagnosis and I trusted that person because of that love. And I loved a person so much so that they did not love themselves enough to know their HIV status, to not pass it on to me. She doesn't get into how he got it. Many Black women become infected by men who could be sleeping with other men. But my issue wasn't their sexuality. My issue wasn't their promiscuity as well. My issue was that I love someone who was not taking care of their health. I loved a man, a Black man, that was not taking care of his health. And that in turn put me in a position to not only have to be responsible for my own health in a different way, but also an unborn child in a different way. What a time to find out that you're HIV positive. You have the high of finding out that you're having a baby and then the low of finding out that you have this disease. Most women find out that they have an HIV diagnosis when they're pregnant because you're required to get an HIV test at that time. We're not being accountable behind the prevalence of HIV in the Black community. You see, if I was to go to a place like Seattle, Washington, or, or, or uh Salt Lake City, Utah, the likeliness of me contracting HIV from someone white in those areas is quite low because the prevalence rate is very low. But I guarantee you the way that they have some HIV awareness is much higher than I would see it and hear about it in the Black community. You have also been speaking with black young Black women in rural communities where people may be surprised to hear the numbers are really increasing. I think as a, as a community, we don't do a strong job of taking that information and getting it to our grandmothers and our aunts and uncles as quickly or um, our nieces and nephews via text message or our godchildren. Um, it takes maybe about seven to 10 years, it seems, for that same three to four year information that rolls out to really be gossip enough <laughs> or spoken enough to really get to the, the individuals that need it the most. I remember how shocked the world was when Magic Johnson made that announcement in 1991. First of all, let me say good, good after late afternoon. Um, because of uh, the HIV virus that I have, attained, uh, I will have to retire from the Lakers uh, today. Um, I just want to make clear, first of all, that I do not have the AIDS disease, because I know a lot of you want to know that, but uh, HIV virus. Um, 
My wife is fine. She's negative, so no problem with her. Um, I plan on going on, living for a long time. Back then, being HIV positive was like a death sentence. Well, living with HIV is a choice, but dying from complications of HIV and AIDS is also a choice. At least we have a choice now, as opposed to then, you didn't really have much of a choice. You just had hope. Dr. Toyin says in addition to hope, there's science. The medical technology has advanced far from when Magic made that announcement, from a cocktail of multiple pills to often just one pill a day. Well, I've been in HIV now for over two and a half decades. And it's been just to see the phenomenal uh, advances in therapy that we have for treatment, where if people are diagnosed with HIV and started on highly active antiretroviral therapy, they can suppress their virus and have undetectable virus, which means actually when people are suppressed, they can no longer transmit the virus sexually, which is what we call U equals U, undetectable is equal to untransmittable. So that is a huge thing of antiretroviral therapy. But by also suppressing their viral load, their immune system is no longer damaged by this virus. So people can have long, healthy, productive lives by medications. And we've gone from where people had to take medications three to four times a day when I first started practice in the, in the 90s to single tablet regimens to injectables that people can be on. So there are lots of options now for people, uh, but it all starts with being able to get that HIV test. Um, because that HIV test, uh, if it's positive, people can be linked to care, started on treatment and do very well. And if they are HIV negative, they can have a discussion about what are the options available to keep them negative and prevent them from getting HIV. Yes, there are drugs to prevent getting HIV in the first place. But here's the kick. Many wrongly assume those prevention drugs are only for gay men. Are you finding that that is especially the case with black women, uh, so-called not being told that there are options like something called the PrEP where they can avoid it altogether? Absolutely. And I can't tell you, Vanessa, where up till a conversation last week or programs that I'm involved with where women literally in 2023 are saying, I did not know that PrEP was for women. Like, so one is being even aware of, of PrEP or pre-exposure prophylaxis. One is being aware of it. Another is being aware that it's available for you. Uh, and that, so we're really talking about PrEP is for all genders, all genders, if you're sexually active. And a lot of our guidelines have really emphasized that. And so we, we find out that women are not aware of it. A lot of the material or marketing things they've seen or conversations have been around other populations. So they really haven't thought about it for themselves. And then for those who actually have heard about it, when they go into the healthcare setting, the healthcare providers aren't talking about it. So if, if it's not brought up to them, well, they're thinking, well, maybe I don't need it or maybe it's not relevant. And then even in some cases, we've heard women um, talk to their healthcare provider and say, hey, what about this PrEP option? And they're told, uh, why do you need PrEP? And when we do that, all of a sudden, the woman feels like, do I have to start explaining myself? You know what? Never mind. So there are lots of, there are lots of steps along the way where we can do better and absolutely have to do better. Making people aware of this option that PrEP, pre-exposure prophylaxis for 
everyone and anyone who is sexually active. Second is that they are aware of it and aware of it and where to access it. And that when they do get into healthcare spaces, that the healthcare providers are also ready and aware of these options and able to have these conversations. And also that we have tools in place to support people to be able to stay in treatment or in prevention because all of these therapies do require some level of support in making sure that we have clinics that are available after hours or on weekends, that we, we help with transportation and access to all of those things that make it sometimes challenging for women to stay in care. It, and I, I understand that even some Black women are told that PrEP would be ineffective for them, that it wouldn't work for them. Which is Absolutely, absolutely incorrect. Dr. Toyin is working on the Vive Healthcare campaign, Risk to Reason, to stomp out AIDS, period. So the goal of the ending the HIV epidemic is to is to get to um, you know zero new HIV infections by 2030. And the goal is to then also improve the quality of life of people living with HIV. That's the trip Masanya's on, going to rural areas of the South to visit these women to find out what they need. They're usually really basic. Just the need to know they're not by themselves in their journey, that when they're ready, they have access, direct access where they don't have to jump through hoops and hurdles to get to someone that is not going to judge them, but also understand and support them and nurture them through their walk. Uh, some of their needs are, if I could just have a moment to myself to just breathe, <laughs> you know, where I'm not necessarily catering to and doing so much for others. Um, some of their needs are, you know, within the care packages that we give, they're individually curated based off of just feeling seen and heard. Their favorite color, favorite flower, favorite um, fragrance, favorite um, place to eat, just doing something for themselves that they may have never had the opportunity to do. And it's so interesting because one of the questions I asked them about, like, you know, what is their favorite flower or what is their favorite colors? Like they're eager to to share it in a way or they're scared to share. There's hesitancy there because no one ever asked. No one cared enough to ask. So now you add HIV on top of that. Now I'm really, you know, um, less than valuable than I ever thought I was before. And I got to fight to have that value back. So it's really the need of restoration around just feeling supported um, where where they are is not the end all be all for where they're about to go. Her visits will be part of a documentary, executive produced by extraordinary actress activist Cheryl Lee Ralph. Where are some of the places that you've been going? What are some of the small towns? Well, Athens, Georgia is one. Um, like Athens and Winder are some of the places in which we have um, started as far as piloting. But Savannah, Georgia is on the list. Um Sparks, Georgia's on the list. A lot of places here in Georgia have been on the list. And we're hopeful that we can reach other spaces within the Southeast as we begin to gain more resources and support around the needs of these women because it's really frustrating 
and disheartening. And it really angers me to learn that there have been more babies being born with an HIV diagnosis lately. Well, we've certainly been talking about um, the whole maternal health with Black women issue. That's the hot topic right now. Um, how many Black women of all incomes are dying in childbirth? And so now this is the other topic that needs to be discussed. Yeah, I think that there are more women living with HIV that are dying from complications of HIV. They're just not living to share their stories or they're afraid to. There are so many moments where I'm in spaces where people don't know that I'm living with HIV, no matter how public I am, right? Mm -hmm. And I listen to them talk. And then every now and then I have to say, you know what? Um, I'll disclose. And then they're apologizing. And it's like, no, your character was already met when you opened your mouth and spoke about it in the way you did. Um, there are moments where I've done marketing uh, or outreach and I say, hey, you know, I'm, I'm working on a campaign. And uh, one of the things I'm doing is for every two black women I reach, I know I'll find my one that's living with HIV. Right. And I had one woman one time say to me, well, I'm definitely not living with HIV. She had an attitude and everything. <laughs> and I just said back to her, well, I definitely am. She didn't know what to say. She was stuck because she doesn't think that she's HIV possible, possible, but she was standing there with her, her boyfriend or the guy that she was dating. And I just simply said, you know, I hope you all continuously get tested and we'll start to hear and see about more women who are pregnant and living with HIV and more women who are birthing HIV positive babies because we don't have the enough specialty providers to uh, do the work and all of the different social determinants of health are really impacting how we show up in um, in our community with our family and our friends, how we date, who we choose to date um, and what supports men aren't receiving as well. So we're going to these rural areas because we know that they're there's more accessibility within the city, but we don't want to miss out on being able to connect with some of the women in the rural areas that deserve the same type of access that we get in urban areas. Daily life for Masonia, raising her two children, one almost 20, the other 12. They're educated about the virus. She has her good days and her bad. I feel like I'm aging a little faster than most <laughs> with an HIV diagnosis. Um, there can be a tendency and there have been findings, scientific findings, that people with an HIV diagnosis tend to show progressive aging by about 10 years. So although I'm 36 years old, I don't treat my body like a 36-year-old as much as I want to. Um, I may have to look at my body as a 46-year-old. Mm -hmm. So where a woman may experience uh, pre-menopause in her late 40s, early 50s. Um, I may be experiencing some of that in my 30s and right. early 40s. Um, when it comes to HIV, because of the way that it can cause inflammation in the body um, and scientifically in reservoirs in the body, you might experience a little more um, 
not even just a, a lot more uh, fatigue in ways. So you're not sometimes not sure, is it in my head or is it the body? She did tell the partner she was with when she found out she was HIV pregnant. She's not sure what he did with the knowledge and wishes all men stand up. We're putting so much emphasis on women, heterosexual women. We put a lot of responsibility on the women and yet still when it comes to men, we only look at sexuality, right? Mm -hmm. I would love for the narrative to shift to say, how do we get our Black men to take care of their health to the point where women don't have to worry about theirs as much when it comes to sex, when it comes to STIs and STDs? We don't put any responsibility in conversations on the men because these women just like in the documentary the women didn't get pregnant by themselves she can only hope her ex is getting treatment hope he's protecting his partners and praise his partners understand it is their responsibility to protect themselves Follow her on LadyBurgundy.org. But before we go, Masanya wants to leave you with this about Black women with HIV. She's a woman first, and then she's a woman living with HIV. HIV is not her character. It's not her personality. HIV is cruel, mean, destructive. It is evil-spirited. It is um, violent, but that's not who she is. That's just how the virus can either choose to be in her body if she doesn't choose to take care of her health. And it's also how other people can end up treating her if they remain uneducated and lack empathy towards themselves being HIV possible. Next time on Blackland. During this Black History Month, some Black history you've likely never heard. The story of Adolphus Stroud. In 1928, his goal was to run for the Olympics, but he had to get to the trials. No money, but plenty of determination. He would walk if he had to, and he did. From his home in Colorado to the trials taking place at Harvard University in Massachusetts. A 2,000-mile journey, Stroud, a Black man, did on foot in 1928. And so he set out on foot a few days later on June 25th at 4 a.m. with a 40-pound backpack, a golf club, and $10 in his pocket. That's Frank Shines. He tells a fascinating story about his family, real Black history. By the way, Stroud made it, but... The last two hours he spent just trying to stay awake, warming up, and being ready for the race. Um, the gun went off. you got to hear what happens next on Blackland, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Listen to the highly anticipated 100th episode of Tank and Jay Valentine's R&B Money Podcast with artist Chris Brown. Even working with you from Carrie Hilson, Adonis. Mm-hmm. Back in the day, I was 15, 14 doing that album. So like I said, I was in school like, yeah. okay, this is how you do it. This is how you make a song. There's a verse, a pre-chorus, and then a hook. I didn't know none of that. You learned I, that over a summer, bro. That's what I, it felt like. That's what it felt like. Listen to R&B Money on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi there. I'm Bob Pittman, chairman and CEO of iHeartMedia. Welcome to Math & Magic, stories from the frontiers of marketing. This week, I'm talking to acclaimed musician and entrepreneur, Pitbull. 
I think that education is the real revolution because as much as we speak about all the problems that there is in society and the world today, my mother's always told me, son, don't worry. The world's always been coming to an end. Don't let it scare you out of living. Listen to Math & Magic on our very own iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. The Elevation with Stephen Furtick podcast was created with you in mind. This is a podcast for those feeling discouraged or needing guidance from God. Together in this podcast, we'll dive deep into scripture, uncover the powerful truths that will help you rise above your limitations and embrace your full potential. We're here to equip you with the tools you need to conquer life's challenges. Listen to Elevation with Stephen Furtick every Sunday and Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.